Hey everybody, it's Matt Kenyon here, and you're listening to episode 24 of Composer Code, the podcast all about video game music and the fine folks that make it. I interview composers, and I try to tease out their workflows and proven patterns of success so that I can share that knowledge with all of you. Today's conversation is with Tom Salta. Tom is an ASCAP winning and MTV VMA nominated composer who's been in the business for a long time and has an impressive list of both TV and game credits, including Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, Red Steel 1 and 2, Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon, Prince of Persia, Wolfenstein Youngblood, and the Halo Anniversary Edition soundtracks. In our conversation, we discuss the importance of having an R&D period in your mind before you begin composing. We talked about what he calls the sandbox phase of composing, which is super interesting. Composers definitely don't want to miss that. He also offers some really practical advice for building meaningful relationships in the game audio space. And as all my guests do, Tom brought a ton of value to me personally. And whether you're just starting out making music for games or you're a seasoned veteran, I guarantee you're going to find something helpful in this conversation. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Tom Salta. So starting out, so I I really love the story about how you got into games with Atlas Plugged and reinventing yourself and innovating in that way, kind of the thesis of your TED Talk. So for those of those who are listening, can you kind of summarize that story? Because it's definitely- Sure, I could give the the elevator pitch of the story. So uh, I started professionally in music in 1990, and I had all my dreams and aspirations, which would be a record producer. So, you know- um, right in the middle of college, I got an opportunity to go on tour with Bobby Brown and Whitney Houston. And for anyone that doesn't remember that name, he, he was like the Bruno Mars. He was literally the king of R&B. He was the biggest R&B star at, uh, at that day. And yep. so I had a chance to go on tour with him uh, as a keyboard tech sound designer around the world. And of course, I said yes, because that was exactly linked to my dream of being a professional record producer and meeting people and all that. So long story short, through the 90s, I, I did that. And then I came back and I got in the studio work. I produced albums uh, of every kind you can imagine uh, and uh, worked in songwriting and programming and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And then 2001, you know, uh, I was married. I had a kid. And then all of a sudden, this high-speed internet comes out and it basically upends the music industry because then you have Napster and you have all these other services, LimeWire, where people are downloading music for free. And then the genius Steve Jobs figures out a way to monetize that and comes out with iTunes and starts selling songs for 99 cents each. That completely upended the music industry. And I predicted that the music industry would tank. Um, and actually, that's exactly what happened in, in hindsight. It began to tank in 2001. So I said, I, you know, my dreams and aspirations to be a record producer pretty much went down the tubes because I said, I'm not going to be able to support my family. Um, you know, it, it just, I don't see it going in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in that day, same year, uh, Halo came out, Xbox came out, games, you know, started getting so good and immersive and cinematic. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was playing Halo and Prince of Persia and Rainbow Six and things like that. And then all of a sudden, I, I remember the day it was like a light bulb went off, a total epiphany, video game music. Of course, that's what I should be doing because my whole life I was a gamer from the 70s. I mean, I was I was Mr. Gamer right. and, uh, and I love music. So I'm like, wait a second, this combines the two things that I love. 
I said, but how in the world am I supposed to start over in this brand new industry? I have no credits. So I went online and I found this thing called E3 and what? It's like a circus of video games. So, you know, I was like, wow, this is great. So I, I'm like, I can do this. You know, I worked on the share album. So I'm going to, so I made a, I made a, you know, I took two weeks. I made what I thought was video game music. I printed up a hundred CDs. I go out to E3 and I'm like, they're going to love me. And then, uh, and then, uh, Sure enough, I had a harsh reality that no one really cared at all about Mr. Wannabe Composer walking around with CDs. They were just caring about their games. And, well, what have you done? You know, what games have you done? I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, none, but, you know. Anyway, so I came home with, between my, with my tail between my legs. And uh, um, shortly after that, I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So I figured out, well, I'm good at uh, making records. I know how to do something from, you know, start to finish. Um, so if maybe perhaps if I, if I become an artist, because I got the impression that they didn't really care about composers, but they thought artists were cool because they would always license their music in these games, driving games and, and, uh, sports games and things like that. So it's like, well, why don't I just become an artist? I could do record. So that was my crazy plan. I, I put on the mask. I became an artist. I, I turned my last name back and called myself Atlas plug, which is the, you know, play on words and Atlas salt backwards, plug unplugged, electronic music, plugged is electronic music, whatever. It was a crazy idea. Mm -hmm. Um, But I started doing this. And before I finished the album, uh, the publisher that I signed with got a call from Microsoft saying they want to license four songs in a game called Rally Sport Challenge Um, 2. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. This is fantastic. So uh, I finished up the album, and then sooner or later, games like Crackdown, Atlas Blood was in Crackdown. It was in Project Gotham. It was, you know, Rally Sport, as I said, uh, Fast and the Furious, all these different games. And then I got a, an opportunity to score the Need for Speed Underground 2. And then I got an agent, and then I started pitching on games like Ghost Recon, and I got Ghost Recon. And then, you know, years later, I got Prince of Persia. And then 10 years later, I got a chance to work on... Uh, on Halo Anniversary, which was the thing that inspired me to get in games in the first place. So in the same talk, in the TED Talk, you you had talked about how the advent of the high-speed internet really revolutionized the way people compose. And one of the examples you used was the fact that you can now work with remote players. And you were saying, you know, we have the strings player living in this country. We have the winds player over here. I've never done that. I've never worked with remote players. What goes into the organization and the execution of something like that? Because that just seems logistically very challenging. Right, doesn't it? Well, there's two ways to do it. One way is logistically challenging, which is the live way. Mm-hmm. In other words, the orchestra way or sure. the live position in real time and, and that that's more difficult. And the easy way is you send people the files, you, you call them on the phone, you say what you're looking for, they record it and they throw it on something like Dropbox or whatever else and send you the files back. That's the easy way. Gotcha. That's the way I usually do it. So do you send them like a click track and you say, hey, just, you know, record this into whatever DAW you're comfortable with. Send me back the wave file. Okay. W recorded in, just send me back the same size, the same stems, you know, start at this bar. I'll give them the tempo. If they're using the same DAW I use, I might even send them my session and you just pop it right in here. Um, but it gets pretty, uh, it, it, it's 
gotten pretty easy. I mean, I, another thing is you got to make sure that the people you're working with have a good setup. You know, they have good sure. microphones, preamps, you know, and, uh, you know, so if I'm ever in doubt, I'll, I'll ask them for a test recording or I'll talk them through how to do it. You know, mm-hmm. I, Sometimes I've actually told people in advance what microphone, you know, and you don't have to spend a lot of money these days. <laughs> I'm like, here, go on Amazon, get this, this, and that. <laughs> You'll be right. fine. You know, cool. I just did that. I just did that with another singer. It was amazing. And uh, um, yeah, Cambodian uh, singer. And uh, we had to figure out a couple of logistics. Um, the person recording her wasn't the regular studio that they normally record in. So they mm-hmm. recorded in their apartment. And with the lockdown, it was like, so I'm like, don't, yeah. worry, don't worry, just just open up GarageBand. We can do this. It's been a lot of fun. I mean, I have a lot of stories. I did this with someone in in Turkey, uh, wow. Istanbul. Um, it's been incredible. I, I remember doing something during Ramadan um, uh, in one of the Middle Eastern countries, re-recording, and we had to stop every 15 minutes. Well, they had to stop. I, it wasn't a live thing, but I even had my like, yeah, you know, I was using Skype and. Like I was talking to them remotely, like, oh, that yeah, sounded yeah. great. Could you do that again? But they're recording on their side. When it comes to finding these players, do you just, is it all networking? Is it kind of, do you have, do you have a specific pool of people that you, that you kind of pull from now? I imagine after this, all this time you do. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have a large pool, but it, it never ceases to amaze me that there are still times that I need to expand that pool. Like this literally happened last week. And, and I went on, sometimes I just go on Facebook. I'm serious. I say, Hey, music peeps, you know, anybody who's X, Y, Z and, uh, more times than not, I'll get some suggestions. In this case, it was such a unique thing. Um, I was looking for literally a, a, a female singer fluent in uh, a Cambodian singer fluent in the language of Cambodia. I couldn't find anybody on Facebook. And so I literally went on YouTube. I started YouTubing like you know, Cambodian rock groups. And wow. then one of them I found, and then one of them was in Los Angeles. I'm like, what? And I looked up the name, and then I found the the the, the name of the singer, and I Facebooked her, but she didn't respond, probably because she didn't understand the, the language. And um, and then uh, I asked someone else, says, oh, I know the manager of that group. And then I talked to the manager, and then he put me in touch with the boyfriend of the singer. It was like, I, that's how I found I'm like, I should go into a private detective on the side. So I want to dive into your creative process. I'm fascinated by creative processes. Um, but I also want to talk about something you mentioned on a Twitch a Twitch highlight, a stream, which you talked about the R&D period before yes. you begin a track, which I'm a huge believer in. Um, I love that because when I get a commission for a game, I transcribe. That's how I kind of do my R&D, so I'll transcribe. Wow. Um, other really? other reference tracks, things like that, and that really helps me wrap my wrap my head around it. Um, could you explain what you mean for those listening about what an R and D period is? And also, I'd love to hear about what your R and D period was for Wolfenstein Youngblood as as an example. Like what you went to, how'd you get inspired for that? Yeah, so you know, my research and development phase is where I will immerse myself in the style that I have to create, and it it's much like an, a character actor. You know, some actors transform themselves you know like tom hanks or people like that and it's like wow i can't believe and they study they listen they look in the mirror they imitate the nuances and the facial expressions of the okay so it's the same in music so what i do you know when i listen to music i listen very detailed and very critically and and to every element and to every bit of the what i'm hearing and then i try to imitate it 
I try to say, okay, what do I have in my arsenal of music and that I can do so? So um, I'll, I'll do that. Uh, I'll listen to other soundtracks if there are some. If there aren't any, I'll listen to, um, you know, I'll watch some movies or listen to, to, to groups. Uh, you know, I, I ask a lot from the client to provide me with reference music or things that they like or artists or movies or soundtracks or whatever it is. And I kind of immerse that and then I take that all in and I put it in this pot in my head and I kind of stir it around and I sit on it for a while, you know, and I don't, I don't actively try to create. And that's one of the things that I think a lot of composers skip. They, they, they don't allow their imagination. They don't realize that stuff is going on even when you're not outputting notes. It gives you a chance to let it like to process it. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing what, 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 what our brains and our imaginations can come up with if you give it the time to just like process that. And then it starts to come up with new ideas and stuff, you know, whether I don't walking around in the shower, you're sleeping, you're not, whatever it is. But I find that when you're actively not trying to work, that's when the ideas kind of can come. Um, so that's a lot of what my R&D phase looks like. It's a lot of listening. And then then I, I allow myself to go into a sandbox. So um, for in the, in the case of um, Wolfenstein, for example, um, a lot of this was based, the first initial reference that the client really wanted me to focus on was the Cocteau Twins Graceland's album. I'm like, wow, first of all, I never heard of the Cocteau Twins. I, I never heard of that either. <laughs> so, uh, but it was really cool and it felt like psychedelic punk music. Wow. It was like really bendy. It, it really was like someone was on a trip. It was like, you know, it was like, and I'm listening to it. I'm like, okay, so it's like these bendy, reverby guitars. It's all very like solid state, but sounding, but very like gritty and old and dirty and noisy and trippy. Mm. And I'm like, okay, okay, I'm getting this. I'm getting this. thinking okay so i got wolfenstein so i got that and i got you know i got that dark brooding tough bigger than life don't take itself seriously vibe and then i have this vibe and i'm like okay so how do i combine those together so then i start because i'm not a guitarist i start coming up with but i'm very technologically you know into all this stuff so i got you know guitar samples and things like that and i use a plugin called helix native which was my latest toy and distortions and stuff like that and it did. I, I did a talk on this too. Um, and I started coming up and d- dialing tones and listening. You know, because going back to when I was on tour with Bobby Brown, my job was to listen to the albums, all of his right, albums, right. and pl- program every sound that every keyboard player would be playing from scratch. Wow! So you got a lot of sound design practice, right? Exactly, and a lot of listening practice, and a yeah. lot of A B comparison. Does that sound like it? No. Does this sound like it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Why? Oh no no. There's a lot of nuance in, and it goes into mm-hmm. it. It's just like a painter. It's like anything creative. You're looking at a painting. Okay, what's the shade of blue? What? How is he doing that with the light? How is that? You know, there's a lot of stuff when you really go deep into it, mm-hmm. and that's what I do with music, and that's what actors do. So that's really what it is. I mean, I dialed in and I started coming up with this unique sound for for Wolven, uh, Wolvenstein that, uh, and I started bringing in other '80s things that were dark, like you know whether it's be um, 
you know, from Blade Runner, Evangelis, and things like that. I started putting it through big, rusty sounding cool reverbs and spring reverbs bx20 lexicon 480s i got a profit synth i started like ooh, this bendy you know like i started playing around and i started coming up with this huge palette of like awesomeness that would sound <laughs> like the game right and i had to figure out how to deal with drums and how to deal with drum machines and how to deal with this and how do i deal with a fight scene and how do i deal you know so it's like all that experimentation, that's all part of the R&D phase before I even start making cues that go in the game. So did you find yourself, to your point, did you, did you find yourself creating kind of this repertoire or maybe a better word would be a reservoir of sounds before you even started actually constructing melodies and harmonies and stuff like that. It was like, let me get the sounds first. Was that kind of your approach? That's always my intention. But what's really funny about that is it's reverse psychology with my own creative process. It tricks me into creating, even though I'm not, because right. sometimes I like something so much that I just start vibing on it and I hit record. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And that's the trick because when that's how you tap into that kindergarten like uh, creative process because you're not worried about your deadlines. You're not worried about how much you're getting paid. You're not worrying mm-hmm. about like all the stuff that creative professionals have to deal with. So if I say, look, I'm not giving myself any pressure today. I'm just going to create. I'm going to have fun in the sandbox. And sure enough, by the time I come out of the sandbox, I have 20 ideas with all these sounds that I was exploring that I can, you know, sometimes there's melodies. I did this, I do this with everything. I did it with Halo. I did it with, you know, all the original scores, of course. Um, everything I do, that's that's my process now. So I'm curious. Uh, so after you've got your sandbox, after you've got your sort of reservoir of ideas, maybe walk me through like a single track in Wolfenstein. What does it look like for you once you have all these ideas set up? Where do you start? Yeah. So so let's say we're we're, we're getting into it. You know, we're this is now we're this is with the rubber hits the road. I got to look at what the requirements are. I got to say, okay. So in this case, I'm going to oversimplify it, but. I'll need 30 seconds of searching combat and I'll need 30 seconds of searching exploration. So it's like you have all these different states in a video game, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, okay, good. So I have this groove or I'll create a groove or I'll be like, okay, well, I feel like starting with the exploration today. So I'm going to, you know, get all these pads out or I'll get this drone or I'll get this whatever or this little whatever it is. Like, you know, I'm like, oh, this is cool. This is a cool vibe. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. Now I feel it. You know, sometimes if they give me some footage or captures, I'll, I'll load that up and I'll loop that in the little quick time video movie window because um, I'm not scoring a scene. I'm scoring to the action of playing the game. That's the difference of course. between film scoring and, and video game scoring. So not attached moment to moment. It's attached to the whole thing. Um, so I'll do that and I'll be, oh, this sounds really good. Okay, so if I got now, let's say this, the guns start firing, what do I want to hear next? What mm-hmm. would be satisfying for me to hear next? So a lot of times I'll, I'll, the first thing I'll do is pick a tempo. It's like, you know, or I'll find a drum. I'll be like, you know, it's like, you know, I'm like, is that, no, is that too fast? Is that too slow? You know, I'm like, whatever. And I, you just start like, you know, vibing out. You either feel it or you don't. Now, you know, I'd be lying to you if I were to say, yes, every day is like my, a Bob Ross moment. It, no, it's not <laughs> always like that. Right. That's, that's, that's the flow. That's the mm-hmm. flow. And I do get into that flow. And, I, you know, doing it over and over, 
you get good at getting into the flow quicker and quicker. So that's what it's like. And I'll just be like, okay, this works here. Mm, no, you know what? And then I'll play it up against some footage of a fight scene. I'm like, oh, no, no, it's, it's too cluttered. I, I need to smooth out the percussion or, oh no, I need to, there needs to energy. There needs something nastier in there. You know, and I just start, it's like painting. I'm just starting to fill it in. And I'm like, oh, I'm bored of this. Let me go back to exploration. Oh, okay. Now let's go into the search. Let's go into that search combat thing, you know, mm-hmm. whatever it is. So and I start to fill it in and I keep track of how many minutes, you know, that, that this section is, you know, a lot of times I'll create more than I need. And then I'll trim it down to the best stuff. And then again, with games music, then I have to consider how these things attach, you know? So I'm always jumping from section to section. Like, okay, if I got interrupted in the middle, would it sound good going here? And if not, then I have to figure out a transition method from A to B. And sometimes that includes giving transition segments or like stingers that'd be like, (laughs) and then it goes into, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, So that, that's an overview, I guess, of the process. Do you do you do a lot of implementation with with any other uh, third party tools like middleware to facilitate those transitions or is usually on the commission there's a separate person who does sort of the implementation? I don't usually do the implementation. On um Wolfenstein I did. Um I was asked to provide it, which was unique. I've never that was the first time that a that a large game, you know, AAA-ish kind of game uh asked me to deliver stuff in wise i was like what you know so uh in that case i had to bring in some people who were much better than i was at at programming knew what they were doing um and so that was the way i was able to deliver there but normally i don't normally i'm able to just deliver the the pieces uh and i understand the process i mean i understand how it works so i know what pieces to give them that will work and i tell them in fact i'll even demonstrate sometimes like okay so here's the deal the tempo is this, tell, you know, and I write it out in a document. Okay, the tempo is this. This section needs a, it has a two-beat um, uh, pre-trigger. So it's like a cymbal swell that triggers two beats before the transition. So make sure that they trigger it two beats before at this tempo. And then the downbeat, it cuts off the previous segment. So I understand how it works. I'm just not a coder. It gives me like a headache and I'm not very much into sitting in front of something that looks like a coding kind of thing to to program my music. Do you find yourself prospecting a lot for these commissions or or do you find that a lot of them come to you or is it kind of a mixture? I would say it's kind of a mixture. I mean, fortunately, after being in the industry this many years now, I would probably say that I get commissioned more than I search out the commissions. Gotcha. Um, but that being said, it's not like I just sit around and you know and just wait for the phone to ring. There's a lot of active stain in the public eye that's involved in this. My my agent plays a large role in that as well. You know, it's about relationships, about keeping in touch with people. I consider the people that I work with friends. I mean, I would hang out with most of the people that I work with. We mm-hmm. develop that kind of trusting relationship and, and personalities work a lot. So, so but it, it's funny. I mean, the world is a big place. And, and, and sometimes uh, foreign markets who I would never have met otherwise will approach me, um, you know, like battlegrounds that happen with PUBG through my website or through whatever. So, you know, I, I guess my reputation is out there or my name is out there in enough that it, it can also um, bring awareness uh, and people can. Uh, you know, other developers and companies uh, will will know who I am and, and, and might consider me for a project and might ask me to 
either hire me or to pitch on it or, you know, something like that. Overcoming that hurdle of the first gig, getting that first commission is something that I hear a lot of composers talk about. Like, how do I get that first one? It's kind of like the, you need five to seven years of experience. How am I supposed to get a job when I, I can't get experience? That kind of thing. So um, I'm curious your thoughts as someone who took a very unorthodox and creative approach to getting into the industry in 2020 and beyond what maybe advice you would give to a young composer. Who's like, how do I just get over this first, this hump of this first gig? Yeah. Well, I'd say, um, first it's very important to realize that it's all about relationships. Okay. And it's, it's also about looking how you can help other people. So a, a natural logical first step for someone who has no credits who's really talented but needs a break is to help other composers, period. Approach the people who are doing exactly what you want to do. Approach the people who you resonate with um, at lockdown or no lockdown. It's been, never been easier um, to, to network and discover people online. You know, I mean, if it was me today starting out 20 years ago and we had all the technology we have today, I'd be, I'd be stalking Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis and, and trying to get in with them and, and see how I can help them. And can I be an assistant? Can I be an intern? Can I, can I submit things to, you know, whatever, can I just watch, can I learn? I I'm very passionate about this. I admire what you do. Mm -hmm. And, and so I'd say just surround yourself with the people that you want to, that you want to be like, or that you want to be doing what they're doing. Put, put any possible ego aside, like, no, no, I can do this on my own. No, you can't. No one can do it on their own. No one does anything on their own. And I'll, sure, I'll, sure. I'll argue that to the end. Oh, no, I've done it on my own. No one helped me. If you think about it, someone did. <laughs> That's very true. Someone helps you. So my point is embrace the opportunity to work with other people. I use the term networking interchangingly with building relationships. Some people get turned off by networking because it feels too corporate. When sure. I say networking, I'm just saying meeting people. Right. I'm building, building a network of relationships. That's what it right. is. And, and that's very important. And you can do that a lot of ways. I mean, once once we get through these crazy days where we're locked in our houses, um, I would say that, you know, make get out there, go to the conferences that are in the industry, find groups in your area, meetups that are people in this industry and, and start to ask. And but again, approach the people that you want to be like and offer to help them or, you know, if they're given a course or something, take the course or, you know, go and study like places, just learn. It takes time and just make good music. I mean, at the end of the day, you could be the nicest person in the world, but if you're not putting anything out that I can point to, then I'll be like, okay, well, let me know when you have something. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> you, know? you know, sometimes I'll ask people to collaborate with me. I'm like, okay, you, it sounds really good. How about we try this? Let's do this trailer together or submit me an idea for this. Let me see what it sounds like. And sometimes yeah. I coach people through it. But I mean, you know, they have to be, they have to be able to contribute something. Sure. And I'm just one person. There's plenty of people to meet out there that could use people's help. So let's just work together and help everybody and, and don't be so uh, competitive. I just want to share based on, you know, what you've just, uh, what you've just shared is uh, how I got into games and composing is I did this podcast composer code because I was fascinated by composers and I love video game music and I myself started in more folk pop singer songwriter type music and then wanted to sort of pivot into video game music because I enjoyed it so much and I interviewed a guy named Stephen Malin who's been on this podcast a few times and we become really dear friends and 
he needed an assistant. So I was like, I'll work for you to be your assistant. So I became his assistant. And then the next thing that happened was he could see that I could compose. And so he said, hey, I have this this commission that I can't take on right now. I referred you. Do you want it? And I said, sure. So I took it. And then now I've established, I've established a relationship with this game development company that they keep they have come to me now for two more so it's like i've never had to do the cold calling thing it was all through a good relationship that i had with a friend and i wasn't you know i wasn't becoming his friend so that i could you know leech off of his commissions i just i enjoyed his friendship and appreciated talking to him about you know video game stuff video game music and it just happened that our our friendship and working relationship sort of blossomed organically and and uh that's kind of what happened. So it, to your point, it's exactly what happened to me. And it's a great point. I'm so glad you said that. And you pointed out a nuance, which is really important, which is sincerity. You sincerely wanted to work with him. You didn't want to leech off of him. He wasn't just a stepping stone that you're going to, you know, just step over and go past. And But a lot of people think that way, sadly. And uh, I will tell you that um, people could sniff that out. I know I can sniff that 100%. out. 100%. Hundred percent. Um, so it, it's really important. It's really important that you that that you have a sincere desire to help someone else out and not to take, because there's takers and there's givers. This amazing gentleman approached me patiently. Says I've been waiting nine years to meet you, and this is an established guy. He reached out to me and he, he couldn't do enough for me. He's like, I made, I, I I created this sound set for you. I did this, I did this. I did. He's like, it's giving. I'm like, what can I do for you? He's like, don't worry. I just want to, and he's just like showering me with stuff and just offering me and, and making connections and help me. He had, he was hooking me up with some of his connections in the industry. And I'm wow. like, oh my God. And never asking for anything in return. So what, what happens when that happens? Yeah. You want to give him something. You yeah, want absolutely. It's the law of reciprocity. <laughs> But it was done sincerely. It wasn't done like a calculating chess game because it's still like, hey, how you doing? What's going on? Like, it's the relationship. We should go out. You know, I I love talking to you. I love because we could talk shop all the time. It's like, sure, I could be friends with this person, you know? Right. You know, that that kind of thing doesn't happen necessarily in two days. I mean, you got to give things time. Otherwise, it's like, whoa, slow down, bear. Right, right. Yeah. It's an old story for thousands of years. It's the way the world works. I'm I'm really interested in the routines and the rituals of creative people, like their morning rituals, their evening rituals, that sort of thing, especially folks with spouses and families and kids, because obviously if you have unlimited free time, you can pretty much do whatever you want, because I have a wife, a kid, and another one on the way. So it's kind of like I have to be super intentional with my time. And I know you had mentioned that, you know, you're a husband, you're a dad. So I'm curious, what, what is your, what does a, a day in the life, a working day in the life look like for you? And then what does like your time off look like? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a husband, I'm a dad, a composer. I'm an executive producer of a television show. I'm a co-host of a podcast. Yeah. I do a lot of, a lot of things. And I, and I compose full time as a living. So what I find is really important is as a creative person, it's important to have a balance in your life of quiet, quiet time. I find meditation is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Uh, it actually, I find that meditation, centering prayer, all these kind of things where you quiet your mind, you quiet the, 
the busy part of the brain, the brain's like, oh, you got to do this. We got to do this. What, what about this? Oh, hell, I got to call that person. Blah, 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 blah. When you let that noise, just just like ignore it and let it calm down. It literally, and this is scientific fact, it literally stimulates the the, the creative part of your brain. It literally allows that to, to grow. It's like it can't function when there's all that crap. It's like a garden. If you have like all this debris in the garden and sticks and twigs and leaves, the stuff can't come through the ground. If you clear that away, the stuff comes through the ground a lot more. And that's the way creativity works. So I find, and just as a person, I, I can deal with stress way better. I can deal you know, like I'm not as, you know, impatient on a, on a regular basis. I'm not in, in a bad mood on a regular basis when I'm less stressed. A lot of us don't eat right. So we got to take care sure. of ourselves. You got to sleep a lot. Yes. 100%. You got to sleep a lot. Yeah. You got to, I think personally, you have to find some kind of meditation or quiet time. And meditation doesn't mean you have to sit there with your legs crossed, fingers in a circle and say, oh, you don't have to do that. what I'm talking about. You right. can, whatever works for you. There's, you can do guided meditation. You do quiet meditation. You go on a nature walk, just something that allows the busy part of your brain to quiet. Put the right. phone away, put the distractions away, give yourself a chance to center into sure. your very being, like that little voice inside. Just be with that person, the essence of who you are. Right. Leave your identity outside. Leave the, the world outside. Just go into that place. That's where creativity blossoms from. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that, I'm not saying you can't make a living doing music. Of course you can. You can crank out music all day. It doesn't mean you're being creative, though. Sure. Maybe you're just making uninspired stuff that's like, yeah, another sports rock track or another, you know, bed of sound like music, you know, whatever. We can all do that. But I'm saying as a creative per pers a person to feel, to feel fulfilled and honestly original and like, oh, wow, I'm having, like, I have something to say as an artist. Sure. You know? It's never been easier to, to make music, right? You can make it on the laptop, but to be an artist, to do something that's like, okay, I'm getting in the flow of something that takes a little bit more of a balance of the whole person. Right. So it's, it's really about, you know, having a life balance, having social life, having a good relationship with your friends or your family, um, working on giving yourself some oh, quiet time, giving yourself play, right? All work and <laughs> no play. Yeah. Like makes Tom a dull boy. I mean, you go yeah. crazy. And especially composers, come on, man. Yeah. We're locked in a room by ourselves most of the time, especially that's right. freelancers. You that's not healthy. <laughs> right. Now you Tom, you you seem like you're an extroverted guy. Is it ever is it tough for you to be in the room all day? I, I'm an introvert. Well, I, okay. So you're more of like a gregarious introvert. See, the difference between an extrovert and an introvert isn't like you you don't like you're not like a hermit or like some kid that hides in the corner. That's not an introvert. An introvert is someone who gets their energy from quiet, from yes. being away from everybody. Now, the person who recharges from stepping away from the busy crowd, that's right, an right. introvert. An extrovert is the opposite. An extrovert needs the people to for their energy to come up. So that's the only difference. I love people, but you know, look at me in a, in a crazy bar, I'll probably be like, okay, I had enough. I need to like, I'd rather go and have a quiet moment and a meaningful conversation where I can hear myself talk. I kind of give myself breaks. It depends on the time of year. If it's nice weather, I mean, I'll go outside. I'll, I'll, I'll you know, maybe I'll just pull some weeds out of the garden. I mean, seriously, it's just like, yeah. that's one good thing about working from your home environment is that you kind of have the option of going back and forth pretty quickly.
Like, mm-hmm. okay, I could take a lunch break. I can kind of, you know, see my kids or my or my wife if, if they're home. Or, you know, sometimes I'll just stop and, and uh, you know, sometimes I'll just go on the web and I mean, I hate looking at the news today because it's so damn depressing, but, you know, I'll kind of distract myself a little bit. I'll, you know, I just give myself like a 10 minute break and then I kind of go back into it. And and the most productive days is when I can focus like the Pomodoro method. I can just kind of focus for 25 minutes and then take a five minute break and focus again, undisturbed. I put the phone away. But the way I don't go crazy is I do. I kind of give myself breaks. I'm like, okay, I'm not feeling it. Okay, I'm going to get up. So that's actually a perfect segue because I was first introduced to you on your GDC talk about composition. Oh, and okay. I appreciated that, first of all, the content was phenomenal, very practical, but I loved the tail end section where you talked about the Pomodoro technique, Trello, productivity, because as someone who is very unstructured, I find that I I flounder if I don't have structure in my life. So I love those sorts of things because they help me to thrive because I need them in my life. Um, do you have anything these days that that similar to the Pomodoro technique uh, or or using Trello for project management, for example, anything you're using these days that really helps you stay focused? Yes. Um, my personality, uh, j- just like yours, and I think most people need structure to actually be productive. Honestly, I, I really do. So what I find is that there's so much in going on in my life. It would stress me out beyond belief and tax my brain if I were to try to manage that all in my head. So I put it all down and I use all kinds of things. So Trello is my is my project manager of choice, but there's high rise or, or Basecamp or, you know, whatever. There's a million things of software out there. I just like mm-hmm. Trello because it's simple. It syncs to all my devices. And the way I do it is this. I have, and there's a book called The One Thing, which I haven't read, but I've read a synopsis of it. And I really love this idea where you focus on one thing at a time. So I have a whole list of things like this is what's currently going on now in my life. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm going to do today. <laughs> right. <laughs> or, right. Or I'm going to do these two things today, but this is all the stuff I have to get done. And this is the stuff that's kind of in the queue, but it's waiting to happen. Right. So that's kind of how I manage stuff. So, and, and it doesn't matter what it is. It could be the, the, this, this podcast that we're doing right now. It's like, okay, I also use my calendar all the yeah. time. Got to use my calendar. And I mean a, a digital calendar because, you know, it syncs to my phone and my, my computers and everything. So I block out the time. And if there's like a deadline, like today, I have like a deadline and it's really important that I deliver this and it has to be done. I'll literally just draw a big block and I put the name of that project and this is what I'm doing till three o'clock because that's when my deadline is. All of the stuff that I have to keep in, in you know, all juggling uh, is always in a centralized project manager thing. Um, that I see what's going on. Now that's, I have ones for my, basically my life. I call it like my, my weekly or whatever it is. Like, just like my life, this is my life. And then sometimes I'll have a separate project manager for a project, a particular project. Not all sure. the time. Usually the ones that have lots and lots of little pieces and things like that. I try to simplify it. I don't break up every little cue and put it in its own box. That's crazy. You waste more time trying to organize yourself than doing it. And I think that's a form of procrastination, quite frankly. But I will. I'll say, okay, today I have to do this level or that level, you know, and and I'll have the project. This has been approved. This I'm waiting for approval, you know, and I kind of have these different columns and, and 
workflows, you know, life cycles of pieces of music that where they are, what I have to do, I still have to do these, I have to do those. This is the deadline of the whole project. This is how much time I have to, you know, and I think about what I have to do every day or how much content I have to export and create. Um, and that's generally how I manage myself. I, you know, I was always fascinated by self-help books in my 20s. I was reading everything from, you know, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People to How to Win Friends and Influence People to all the Tony Robbins stuff, taking videos, of watching DVDs, listening to cassette tapes. You know, I think I, I put a lot into self-improvement and it's just because I'm a freelancer and I am the product, you know, right. so the more I can level myself up as a person, the better I'm going to be. I noticed a trend when I listened to a lot of your music of really like banging drum parts like <laughs> like like the example like for example the drums in cloaked in blackness the song the track cloaked in blackness and impart from your work on the halo games are like almost funky like i was listening and i was like vibing to a halo track i was like these drums slap as the kids like to say so so uh, what what is your process for for writing and programming in drum parts like do you uh, are you a drummer by trade or because because I, I sense a lot of rhythm and a lot of emphasis on rhythm in your in your tunes? Yeah, it, it's true. I, I guess. Um, no, I was never a percussion player. Uh, I've always been a finger drummer. Um, but yes, I do realize uh, now looking back at uh, many years, I'm like, I've always been very rhythmical. I've always enjoyed rhythm. I've always enjoyed playing with percussion. I probably spend a lot more time than the average composer with just percussion. You know, whereas I think a lot of people just put it in the way you're supposed to, like a highlight, like, oh, I, I take the flute part and I double it with the snare drum. And, you know, I, I treat percussion as a whole thing. I'd say second to a melody, a rhythm to me is the most viscerally appealing part of a, uh, of a, of a track. And honestly, like, you know, obviously melodies are created with rhythm, but the way a melody or uh, the way the track sort of plays against the the rhythm section or the percussion section to me is i don't know there's something very primal about that so for me personally i love programming in drum parts do you find yourself doing like um like actually playing them in on your keyboard okay so you're playing them in so you're you're not usually going in maybe you'll massage the midi after but for the most part you're you're playing them in that's correct okay playing them in yes i i enjoy that method i don't program my drums but that doesn't mean it's always there. It's it's so funny. I did things for Honor of Kings. There was zero percussion whatsoever. So it doesn't mean that, you know, well, that's the, I, that's the only thing I do. But um, I enjoy it. I have fun with it. It's like when the percussion is there, you better believe it's going to be banging kind of thing. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Tom, thanks so much, man, for, for uh, being on the show. It's been such a great conversation. I'm sure we could talk for another hour. But this has been great. I understand that you have launched a podcast uh, about 80s culture from what I understand. So, so feel free to tell the audience where they can find out more about that podcast and also where they can find out more about you online. Yeah, oh, oh good. So here's here's where I do all my plugs. Okay, if you have any interest in 80s pop culture, uh, grew up in the 80s or know someone who did, please listen to Two Guys and the 80s. It's on every platform imaginable and on our website, Two Guys in the 80s. It's so fun. My brother-in-law and I do it, and we just talk about growing up, and we have music and sound effects and quotes, and it's just it's, it's a big laugh, and especially these days, it's a great escape. Um, uh, if you're interested in, in anything about learning about this whole world that we've been talking about today, uh, I invite you. To, I have a very limited uh, Patreon 
uh, masterclass going on now. I think there's nine slots left. Uh, and uh, it's a much more of an ongoing coaching, mentoring, educational, instructional, inspirational, uh, interactive experience um, that that we do. So check that out uh, on Patreon.com. Just Tom Salta. Uh, and um, let's see what what else. What else, man? Uh, you got dance it out. Oh yeah, you dance, got dance your Twitch. Out. You got oh, yeah, Twitch. that's right. That's right. Your I Twitch do have a, has a lot of uh, helpful stuff on there. Yeah, yeah, that's your right. TED Talk, your TED Talk. Right, right. Oh, yeah. All of yep. that. Yeah, my uh, my television uh, show uh, is uh, Dance It Out with Billy Blanks Jr. He's the international fitness dance guru guy. He's amazing. What a wonderful person. It's such a positive show. He always brings an inspirational guest onto the show. And then whether you, this one boy and mother were born without no without any arms, literally. And they were on the show and he got them to dance on the stage. And it's just so joyful. And now That's that we're awesome. all locked inside, it's like the best show to watch every Saturday morning on Lifetime at 10.30 a.m., no matter which coast you live on. 10.30 a.m. Lifetime. Dance it out. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun. You don't even have to be a good dancer because no one's going to see you. Um, it's just a feel-good show. I did a lot of the music in the show. I did the theme song of the show with my musical uh, hero, Greg Philagains, a la Michael Jackson. Um, so uh, a, lot of, a lot of fun positivity there. And uh, yeah, I've, I've done enough plugs, Matt. Come on now. <laughs> well, dude, thank you so much, man. Uh, I can tell you've got a real heart for giving back to the composition community and helping people out. So I just, I really appreciate, really appreciate the chat. My pleasure. My pleasure. Well, thanks for the opportunity and uh, you, you stay safe and well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Composer Code. I really hope it was helpful or at least entertaining. I have over 20 other in-depth interviews with game composers you can listen to right now for free at ComposerCode.com. So definitely check those out. There you'll also find some helpful articles and resources and videos and blog posts all about making music for games. If you want to help offset some of the hosting costs of keeping Composer Code online, consider throwing me a buck or two at patreon.com slash composer code. I would very much appreciate it. Doing so also helps me justify putting in more time to make the show the best it can be. So links for everything I've mentioned in this episode will be in the description. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time.